The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. This is the 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross on 630 Chad. A special edition of the 630 Chad Afternoon News, as you've been hearing here on this station, a driver charged in the Humboldt. Uh, Bronco bus collision investigation. Jazz Karit Sidhu, a 29-year-old male from Calgary, charged with 16 counts of dangerous operation of a motor vehicle causing death and 13 counts of a dangerous uh, of dangerous operation of a motor vehicle causing bodily harm. Uh, we joined. Uh, we're joined now on the phone by Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League president Bill Chow. Um, Bill, I. I I have to ask, I know, of course, that you listened uh, to the press conference or to the news conference. I appreciate your time today with us. I'll start with what was your reaction? Well, I, you know, I think the uh, RCMP have obviously uh, done a thorough investigation as to the outcome of the charges being laid today. And, uh, you know, we have to respect the court process now moving forward. Bill, have you spoken with either any members of the Humboldt Broncos franchise or any of the families directly, or have you heard anything from the franchise or the families uh, post-press conference or even before the press conference today because RCMP had mentioned that they spoke with families this morning? Yeah, no, I, I haven't spoken to anybody from uh, from the Bronco organization or any of the families. Uh, can you tell us, uh, Bill, over the months that have followed, it's three months to the day uh, since the uh, the bus crash just what sort of we've talked a lot about the families of course um the reality of news is that even a, an event as large as this one as tragic as this one um is a headline and then it, it cycles through the news cycle and until there's a new development it sort of goes into the background for a time but those individuals living through this deal with it every day uh, can you talk about the months since that bus crash what impact it has had on your league well, I think everybody, uh, all the teams have been affected, uh, you know, just because of the close, tight-knit community of hockey in general. Um, and, you know, I mean, there's players that have played with some of the humble Broncos, whether it's in our league or whether it's in other leagues, whether it be the CHL or other other leagues in the CJHL. So, I, I you know, I, I it, it, to sit there and, you know, speculate how it's affected anybody, everybody you know, is going to be affected in different ways and different matters. And, and uh, you know, uh, people are going to react differently at different times. And so, you know, I, I, to, to speculate how people are feeling and how they're reacting would be, you know, I think it would be unfair on my part to do that. And no, I was thinking more, Bill, along the lines, and obviously what you just said is absolutely true, and I wouldn't ask you to speculate on people's feelings, but as a league, as an organization, you must go on. So there had to be a thought process with regard to the the uh, Humboldt Broncos as to whether or not they could uh, put a team on the ice next year, as to whether or not there had to be some uh, stipulations made for how players would be selected in order to make sure that everybody had a fair chance. I mean, I, I'm just curious from a league perspective, what kind of, what has happened over the last few months? Well, I think, you know, I mean, obviously the, the first piece of action was, was the Humboldt Broncos coming to a decision as an organization uh, to continue playing. Uh, I don't think that was, you know, ever a question whether they would or they wouldn't. Uh, I think it was a matter of when uh, they would make those decisions. Uh, 
as to you know selecting players i think we have to keep in mind that uh you know we're dealing with young men uh they're not professionals uh and and we have to understand the process that uh, the league and and the board of governors and the other teams went through and we have to be very cognizant of the fact that these are young men and and uh you know, when you're a pro professional athlete, uh, you know, some of these things can happen to you. But, I mean, as a young man, uh, not knowing uh, the circumstances and everything like that that then transpired, I think it's important that we keep that fact in mind. Bill, when the Humboldt Broncos announced that they would return for the next season, how quickly did other teams in the league jump at the opportunity to help the Humboldt Broncos as much as they could? And not just in the sense of players, but in other aspects, whether it, it, it be be funding for the franchise or whether it be hosting special events in support of the Humboldt Broncos? Well, I think all of our teams uh, have held a, an event of some kind uh, to raise money for, for, the, for the Humboldt Bronco organization. Uh, you know, a few, uh, few organizations uh, raised money that went directly to uh, Christina Hogan and, and her boys, uh, you know, in some cases, and in other cases, it went right to the Humboldt Bronco organization. So, uh, I believe all of our organizations, not only in Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League, but across Canada, you know, have made contributions to, to one, in one way, shape, or form, to to the Bronco organization or to directly to the families in in assisting them through uh, through this time. Do you know, Bill, I have to tell you before I let you go, one of the things that uh, was an eye-opener for me, and I think for many of our listeners as well, and people across Canada, is we, many of us who are not involved in hockey or didn't have kids involved in hockey, um, it was an eye-opening experience to learn, once we got past the details of this uh, horrific accident, just the culture of hockey in Canada. I think a lot of people didn't realize that they knew someone who has ridden that, those buses or that your child is friends with somebody who's uh, being billeted uh, somewhere else in Canada. Um, I, I think as hockey fans, we sort of think of NHLers as just arriving at the draft and, and we don't really think about what happens and what leads up to that and the sacrifice that they all make in order to get that opportunity. Well, you know, I think that's a fair statement, but I also think that when it comes to riding the buses, I think we have to look at every sport and every high school sport and, and uh, you know, anybody that's going to an event of any kind that gets on the bus and, and uh, goes, uh, you know, putting their child on that bus, uh, whatever the event could be. And, 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 you know, maybe that's why it resonated so much with, with everybody. Uh, I'm not sure about that part of it, but... Uh, I think that it does have something to do with it. And, and uh, you know, I think uh, in Saskatchewan, hockey is a very strong bond uh, when it comes to small-town arenas and small-town rinks and, and what hockey does for each of those communities uh, within those uh, areas and, and how it makes that bond that much stronger. Absolutely. Uh, Bill Chow, SJHL president, uh, joining us this afternoon on the Afternoon News. Appreciate your time this afternoon, uh, Bill. Uh, thanks for doing it, and uh, good luck in the months ahead. Thank you. At 2.15 on the 6.30 Ched Afternoon News, we will be transitioning into a more typical 6.30 Ched Afternoon News as the uh, afternoon draws on. Uh, right now, though, we just want to keep you informed as to the developments out of uh, Depot in Regina, the RCMP holding a news conference 
this morning with regard to charges laid against a driver in the Humboldt bus crash. Um, 16 charges. Uh, do you have those charges? In yeah, 16 charges of dangerous operation of a motor vehicle causing death. Another 13 charges of dangerous operation of a motor vehicle causing bodily harm. The individual believed to be responsible is 29-year-old Jazz Karit Sidhu out of Calgary. We had a press conference at uh, 1 o'clock. We know all of you weren't able to tune in, but we do have some audio to share with you to shed some more light on this developing story. The officer in charge of the uh, major crime unit, Superintendent Derek Williams, spoke to the media. Uh, he was asked on uh, any clarity or whether or not he could clarify on what caused the crash. Well, as we know uh, from our last media conference um, on, uh, on April 19th, we know that the bus was driving northbound on, uh, on the highway and the semi-truck was westbound. They did meet in the intersection and a collision occurred. Now, the, uh, the factors leading up to that is, again, evidence and facts that are going to be before the court. And um, anything around the, um, uh, the driver himself, again, all that material will be before the court. Uh, was the trucking company breaking any laws? Again, our investigation was focused on the, uh, on the driver in this case, and that's, uh, that's who we've charged. Uh, the superintendent was also asked what was the most challenging part of the investigation, which took three months from the time of the crash to today when charges were laid. Well, certainly we relied on expertise uh, for the uh, traffic uh, collision reconstruction. That did uh, take a fair amount of time. We received that information uh, late last week, which we then shared uh, with, uh, with the Crown Office. And when did the decision officially lay charges, and when did you were able to identify the driver in this case? We swore um, uh, the information for these charges uh, yesterday. And uh, Superintendent uh, Williams saying that in order to lay these charges, there had to be proof that the driver was operating in a manner that is dangerous to the public. Uh, when asked about uh, what kind of work had gone into the investigation, he mentioned uh, 60 interviewers, uh, 6,000 photographs, drivers' logs, bo logbooks, and uh, unmanned aerial vehicles all used. If you want to uh, weigh in on this, we're happy to take your calls in this next few minutes at 496-0063 or on our texting page at 630-630. We received this text. This uh, Humboldt Bronco situation is so incredibly tragic. I feel so much for the families of all those killed and injured, the first responders and even the driver and his family. What a waste. Not knowing the circumstances, I can only think that the driver made a series of judgment errors that ended up meaning lives lost and destroyed. I am sure he never started his journey meaning to kill or maim a group of young men and women. I know I have made bad decisions. We all have, but fortunately for most of us, those decisions never killed anyone. I am glad the driver has been charged, but I hope the entire trucking industry is looked at as well. The whole thing is so sad that... Uh, from Dwayne. And just a reminder to people who would like to listen to the full interview, we are playing clips and we are recapping this story as much as we possibly can. It is on our website right now at 630ched.com. It's also on iTunes. We podcast this. You can check it out on there as well. It's about 20 minutes. There were a lot of good questions asked by reporters, a lot of them not being answered by police. That shouldn't come as a surprise in this day and age. Police, Andrew, I mean, it, it's just the way it is right now. We They hold press conferences and, and they do the right thing by doing so and letting us know who's charged and what charges that person is facing. 
but they rely on that one quote of this is now before the courts and mm-hmm. I can't get into any specific details. And rightfully so, because these things of are course. not tried in the media. They're not tried in the kitchens and uh, living rooms of Canadians. They'll be tried in a court of law. John has uh, given us a call at 496-0063. Hi, John. Hey, guys. How are you? Good, thank good. you. How are you? Good, good. Um, yeah, I just kind of wanted to talk about sort of um, some of the elements of the offense of dangerous driving and, and kind of how difficult it might be to prove in this case. Uh, John, are you a police officer or former officer? Yeah, former. I, I was for about 10 years. Okay. And uh, I investigated some fatal crashes, um, assisting Anne as a lead investigator. And it can be really difficult to prove dangerous driving because no matter how egregious the, the actual incident was that caused the accident, let's say uh, a blowing a stop sign that's got rumble strips and lights and bells and whistles and there's no way anyone should miss that stop sign that egregious um incident is in itself is not enough for dangerous driving you have to establish a pattern of driving that preceded that incident so normally how that's established is the eyewitnesses because you have somebody let's say you know ripping down the hand cutting in and out of traffic you know mm. blowing blowing people's doors off and then they cause an accident well that there's your Um, pattern of driving. Now, the problem in this case that I can't figure out is usually you have that indication of a pattern really quickly after the accident. Um, Reconstructing it in the collision, uh, in the intersection, um, even determining the speed of the vehicles, and even taking 6,000 pictures like they said and, and using drones and things, that none of that really establishes the pattern of driving that preceded the accident. My guess is that there, uh, of course, it's just speculation. I have no skin in the game, so I can speculate all I want. Mm-hmm. Um, is that they're going to try to pull evidence out of um, his log books that showed that he was driving too much, he was late, he was driving too fast, he was taking chances all before um, the accident. Because if they had had some eyewitnesses to say he was driving really recklessly and crazy this this would have been he would have been charged within you know 24 to 48 hours of the of the collision so i can't quite figure out how they're going to meet that without having some of that really obvious uh, evidence well it's an interesting point john you bring up log books and again i even more so than you should not speculate at all but i i noticed uh log books mentioned a couple of times, and uh, as you well know, when dealing with uh, police statements, it's sometimes what's uh, not mentioned uh, being just as significant as what is, and the officer, uh, the inspector in this particular case, uh, said that they looked at many factors. He mentioned logbooks, and said, where's the effect, or the lack thereof. So when we talk, you know, now I wonder, well, did this driver have logbooks? I mean, you're talking about whether or not he violated uh, you know, practices with his logbooks, but it could very well be that he wasn't keeping logbooks at all. And it would take some time to piece together how much, how many hours and how many consecutive hours and days of driving he had done prior to the accident. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of what I was insinuating is that they may have some reason to be able to prove that he had to drive recklessly because uh, his logbooks indicated he was running behind schedule um, or something to that nature, mm-hmm. because uh, there's really no reason to mention specifically the logbook in that in that uh, statement that right. gave today that caught my interest. Unless there was something, like you say, missing or or there from that logbook, because they're going to have to pull 
from a lot of different areas here to prove this dangerous driving if they don't have any eyewitness. And they may, they might have eyewitnesses, I don't know. But, um, yeah, I would think if they had some really, really good witness statements of dangerous driving, it would have been fairly obvious, you know, really soon after. So, yeah, that. you're saying, John, it wouldn't have taken three months to lay the charge. Exactly. No, yeah. it would have been immediate, pretty much, yeah. All right, interesting perspective, John. Appreciate the phone call. Uh, we're you. going to go over to another line now. Wayne, as soon as I figure out how to get him on the air, there we go. Wayne, you want to uh, weigh in on this as well? Yeah, hello. Hello. Hey. Uh, I just want to elaborate on my, your, your caller just came in. I'm a retired cop, too. Yeah. I'm not going to give you the investigative perspective on things. I just I think it's, it was terrible. Terrible incident, terrible unfortunate. But, again, I think sometimes so it's now you're trying to form the intent. It's like impaired driving. People go out, they get hammered up, and the intent's not there. I mean, this was just a tragedy in total. Mm. But um, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I just... I don't think, I think you're going to have 17 people dead in this incident. I don't think this driver is going to last long, to be honest with you. What do you mean by that, Wayne? Well, I, well, just think of the mental stuff on him. I, I understand the mental philosophy and stress on the families, but this driver is just going to be a mess. Yeah, and, oh, yeah. Uh, totally. That's just you know? it. That, that's just it. I think... And, and no one's kind of addressed that perspective. I don't, I don't, I'm not feeling sorry for the guy. He blew a stop sign. You know, I think we all kind of know that, but... I guess wow. we, all, we all kind of think that, right? Yeah. 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 But yeah, you're right. I, I mean, we've talked about that on this show, and it's not a popular opinion or it's not a popular observation to make when, you know, 16 young people have yep. lost their lives, right? But it's a fact, and you're right. Uh, as one of our texters said just a moment ago, I mean, he didn't get up that morning with the intent of killing 16 people and injuring 13 others, and I can't, I, I can't even imagine the psychological impact of doing that, whether you felt you were negligent or not. I mean, either way would be horrific to live with. I guess where I'm coming from, there's a difference with someone actually intent to, to go out and do something bad or evil. Yeah. Whereas, you know, like, and then that previous caller just nailed, hit the nail on the head. He said, maybe his logbook straw act, there's a lot of pressure in the trucking industry. And don't get me wrong, I, I'm not defending. I'm, no, I'm, understood. I'm a, neutral, I'm a neutral individual here, just. But there's a lot of variables there, and it's just it's just terrible all around. It, it really is, and I, I fear that there will not be satisfaction no matter the outcome of this trial because 16 people lost their lives. 13 others are putting their lives back together. There's, there's going to be no, no ray no, of sunshine no. at the end of this. No, that's, no one. That's, basically that's my bottom line. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Wayne. Appreciate the phone call and the perspective. And, Thanks uh, very much for that. I cut off Wayne right at the last second there. No, and that's just something I said earlier is... Um, I didn't want to say that these families are happy that these charges are laid. And I'd also mentioned that this will maybe start some sort of grieving process. But the grieving process will never end. Whether it's, whether it's your, your, your father, your husband, your friend, a relative, it doesn't matter, your son, it doesn't matter. This is something of a magnitude that no parent or any family member or friend ever wants to imagine happening to them. No, nor is there any satisfaction, to be perfectly honest with you. If these charges hold up or proven and this driver is found to be guilty, there's no satisfaction in that for the families. No, not at all. It doesn't change anything for them. No, and even if he is found guilty, they'll just say, I'm happy that There's this person has been, yeah. has been put away for something that they shouldn't have done. But at the end of the day, they're still going to be devastated by what happened on right. April 6, 2018. That will never go away for them. Exactly. As Paul said and Wayne alluded to, 
um, there wasn't they both former police officers talking about the pattern and about the intent and that's the thing there was no intention on this driver's part to hurt or kill anyone we don't know what those actions were that led to a criminal charge versus a motor vehicle charge that's what we're going to find out in the weeks and months to follow um it will be frustrating if anything else uh, more frustrating to find if we I shouldn't even speculate, but if we determine that there was some just really egregious oversights on the part of the driver or witnesses step up and say, this is what I saw him doing or whatever, it's just going to make this even worse. It, I, it, and I can't even try and put myself in the perspective of someone who's lost a loved one or who's battling through the recovery of a loved one. But if you find out that this was totally stupid do you know what i mean like just totally stupid as opposed to a momentary lapse of judgment i don't know that that makes it any better i in fact i think it makes it worse yeah i agree it's going to be a tough process for the families and friends i mean um that courtroom and we don't know when or where next week that uh the accused will appear Mm. but i can bet you one thing it's going to be packed full Guaranteed. We'll continue uh, our coverage of this throughout our news broadcast at the bottom and top of every hour. Coming back after 2.35, we'll talk to Global Regina Evening News anchor uh, Carly Fissett. Is that how you say it? Carlisle Fissett. Carlisle? Yeah. Oh, I'm glad I didn't call them. Carly. Uh, Carlisle Fissett. I don't we, uh, watch the uh, Regina Global News much. Uh, and then we'll transition to a more typical 6.30 Chet Afternoon News. This is the 6.30 Chet Afternoon News with Jalen Nye and Andrew Gross on 6.30 Chet. 2.34 here on the 6.30 Chet Afternoon News. As you've been hearing throughout the afternoon today, uh, driver charged, the driver charged now uh, in that horrific Humboldt Bronco bus collision uh, three months ago. Jazz Karit Sadu, a 29-year-old male from Calgary. He's been charged with 16 counts of dangerous operation of a motor vehicle causing death and 13 counts of a dangerous operation of a motor vehicle causing bodily injury. These are criminal code charges. Uh, the standard for which is proof that uh, the driver was operating in a manner that is dangerous to the public. This follows a three-month investigation, which included 60 interviews, 6,000 photographs, drivers' log books, and uh, unmanned aerial vehicles. For another perspective on this, we're joined now from Global Regina, uh, evening news anchor Carlisle Fizette. Uh, Carlisle, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. No problem. Thank you for having me. Well, you know, uh, you live in basically the community. I mean, Regina, I know not uh, right there, but uh, certainly your province has been uh, rocked by this, was rocked by this three months ago. Uh, What's your take on the news conference today? The news conference, the the gist of it was, was vague in terms of specifics, which I know a lot of people in the community are looking for. Um, And I can say the reporters that were in attendance Tried. There were several questions, uh, uh, but the superintendent, Derek Williams, who, who was giving a press conference, uh, as, as much as we did try to get specifics, this is a matter for the courts. He made that very clear. So I think the, the public, as much as they want to know the specifics of what happened, will have to wait uh, for it to play out in the courts. Um, but in all, this, this is the first bit of closure, I would say, for the public. I know the families uh, were the first people to be told that the arrest was made. This morning, uh, the uh, Sadu was arrested without incident this morning at his home in Calgary. 
so I think this is a, a step in, in the road for, for closure for, uh, you're right, a province that was rocked by this uh, horrific incident. And, and you know, uh, it's sort of, I, I don't mean to make light of this in any way, but this is the nature of these news conferences. You play the mm-hmm. music and you dance. You know that the question will be asked. You know the question won't be answered. Uh, I guess really today the only question that was we were waiting for an answer on all of us in the media was will there or will there not be a charge and then the subsequent question will that charge be criminal in nature that at least got answered today that's true and we we can take a few things from this as well uh, because uh, while not able to speak directly to the evidence that they collected they were able to speak to what goes into uh, what needs to be the boxes that need to be checked off for these charges to be laid uh, and one thing the superintendent was clear to point out was that there was no impaired driving uh, charge laid. So we do know that, uh, as far as we know, impairment was not a factor in the cause for, from the uh, perspective of the RCMP. Um, but as, as part of the criminal code and, and these offenses go, the driver, in the RCMP's opinion, uh, to get to these charges, they, he had to have veered away from what could be expected uh, under the circumstances. So we know that a serious uh, error in judgment is what the RCMP are are likely going to uh, present as the cause of this case when it does eventually go to trial, just based on what they told us for the uh, criteria to lay these charges. Carlisle, have you personally or has anyone else on your team reached out to any family members affected by this tragedy? And if so, have they said anything to you? Are you hearing anything? We have been uh, in contact with a few uh, family members, but not uh, to our, not to the extent that any of them are ready to, to speak on this development today just yet. Um, but yeah, I know across the board, uh, people have been uh, touching base with the families. Uh, they have had a few hours now to process the information, but at this point, uh, we don't we know we won't be able to share their thoughts, uh, at least it looks like today, but in the coming days, we, we hope that uh, we will start to be able to hear from them. You know, Carla, I have to ask, as, as a talk show guy to a media guy, and as I've said a couple of times today and in other days, our jobs are different. Mm-hmm. So I want to ask you, as a talk show host to a media guy, how difficult is it for you and your team to balance... Um, the information from a news conference like the one today where people want answers, uh, they want information, it isn't there. Um, How difficult is it to reach out to family members? Uh, What kind of decisions do you make in terms of how much do we want to invade the privacy of these individuals again and how how do you weigh up the harm versus the benefit of getting comment from family? No, that is a good question. I can tell you, uh, not from this uh, specific case, but from my own personal experience as a reporter, it's the worst part of the job is, is to have to, to speak with people who have been affected by tragedy. There's, there's no doubt about that. Um, and, but it is part of the job. It is something that, that we do have to at least do. We have to at least ask the questions. And I know there was some frustration uh, in the voices of some of the reporters at the news conference today trying to get those answers because, I mean, our frustration and our uh, grief over, over this incident is nothing compared to what the actual families are going through. And we, we keep that in perspective. Uh, but you're right, there is some frustration on our part to, when we are trying to get those answers uh, for the public. There's no doubt about it. Have you learned anything else about the accused, Carlisle? Aside from his name, his age, he's from Calgary. Uh, the details were scant. I expect when uh, he does make his first court appearance, we will get a little bit more information. Uh, but at this point, the 
The superintendent was very clear that the vast majority of the details that so many people are looking for won't be forthcoming until they make their case in court. Do you think, Carlisle, last question for me, but do you think one of the questions, whether fair, unfair, relevant or not, that Canadians want to know is, is he Canadian? You know what? From from my point of view, I don't think it's that relevant um, to the incident. Uh, that's a bigger question, I think, for the the company that's involved with it. We know there the investigation that was concluded today with the arrest that is a sep- that's separate, and they made that clear. I think when it comes to the the operations of of the company that was uh, responsible for this trucking uh the trucker uh that's more along the lines of of that instance i i don't think the uh the nationality has an impact on on whether or not uh this incident would or would not have taken place i don't think it i don't think it factors in to be honest no i, I couldn't agree with you more uh, Car- carlisle fazette uh, an anchor with uh, global regina uh, thank you so much i know it's a busy news day for you and you've got news to get ready for tonight appreciate your time this afternoon Thank you for having me, guys. Always a pleasure. All right, let's take a look. Uh, Sorry, I signaled to go to break, and I didn't mean it. So we've just uh, received a statement from the Humboldt Broncos, if you want to take a run at that, Brad. Yeah, so the Humboldt Broncos are thanking the RCMP and its investigators for their work. Our organization has faith in the justice system, and we will be watching closely as this court process plays out. We will have no further comment on the investigation or the resulting charges until the process has concluded. Again, this is a statement from the Humboldt Broncos franchise in response to the charges being laid against the semi-truck driver involved in that fatal collision. Our primary focus continues to be supporting the survivors, families and others that were directly impacted by the tragedy on April 6th. We ask that media maintain and respect their privacy as this matter proceeds through the courts. Once again, that is a statement from the Humboldt Broncos in response to charges being laid against the semi-truck driver earlier this afternoon. Right. Now, uh, we're going to switch gears a little bit after we take our break, get more into a afternoon news format, and hand this over to our newsroom to update you at the top and bottom of the half hours. But before we do that, one more thing, of course. Uh, one of the victims of the crash uh, whose uh, injuries were extensive um, Ryan uh, Strasnitsky, uh, whose uh, dad, Tom, of course, uh, we've, we've been talking here on the afternoon news as other media about Ryan's journey as he uh, has gone through rehabilitation and uh, treatment, I think, was it in Philadelphia? Just recently finished his six-week stint in Philadelphia. It was Wednesday afternoon that he, his father, and mother returned to Airdrie, which is home for them, and... Right now, they're staying in a hotel while their house is modified to help Ryan. More mobility, more wheelchair accessible during his recovery process. That, of course, was because Ryan was paralyzed from the chest down in the crash. Uh, His dad was asked today uh, whether or not he was relieved that charges had been laid. Well, we are happy that uh, it's finally come to... uh Charges are being laid, so yeah, we are very happy about that because don't want that to, you know, be ignored at all. And Tom went on to say that he wants to know exactly, as many of us do, how and why the accident occurred. 
Let's take our break. Uh, we'll get that out of the way. As I say, uh, I've been referring to this as a special edition of the 6-3 Chet Afternoon News, which I think many of our listeners thought uh, implied that this would be our only topic throughout the afternoon. No. What makes it special is we started at 1 instead of 2. Uh, but we'll take a break, switch gears a little bit. Uh, we'll lighten things up for a Friday, and we'll hand over the uh, tough stuff to our newsroom that is more than competent to handle it. The 6.30 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 6.30 Chad.